I'm just an Aussie. I, I grew up in country Victoria and I speak country Victoria, mate. So, you know, if you want to go to the farm and hang out in the back of a ute, I can do that. That's what I can do. In fact, one of my first injuries uh, coming off a motorbike, you'd, love, you'd, like, you'd like this, was actually in the Lord's service. Um, I was running a youth group at a mate's farm because that's what you do. And, um, and it was time to finish the, the night and get the kids back to their parents. And I'd just like to give a shout out to all the kids and youth workers that work in churches and, and you sign people in and you sign them out and you have procedures and policies. And what we had was a motorbike to go up to the dairy shed and herd the kids back to the farmhouse. <laughs> and I came, I came down the hill just saying to the kids, come on, come on. And I don't know, I was just putting along. And somehow hit a wombat hole. How Aussie is this story? Somehow hit a wombat hole. It threw me off and I broke my collarbone, uh, fractured my scaphoid and my elbow. Right? That's the right response. Oh, there's a bunch of people in here going, you idiot. You obviously can't ride. And you're probably right. But anyway, leading youth groups is fun and we'd like to welcome Dechan to our team. So, for all those watching along, if you're just watching the message, Dechan's our new youth and young adults guy, and he is not going to be riding motorbikes anytime soon. We have been, we've just started a new series called Living Faith. Faith without works is dead. We know that. That's in the book of James. You'll find that later on. But we've been looking at the book of James. James is like, like the best, uh, like take all of Jesus' teaching, all of the good stuff, and boil it down to just a few chapters, and then just absorb it. So it's almost like this dude was hanging out with Jesus, heard everything he said, and then said, here's the best bits. This is like a highlight reel. So it's like a lot of times when people are beginning their faith journey, we often start them in the book of John or the book of James. James has this fundamental teaching that tells us how to have not just a faith, but a living faith, not just a dogma that we live by, but a discipleship that leads us. And so we've been looking into this, and we're going to look into this for the next few weeks. But today's conversation is around this word, temptation. Temptation. Isn't that an exciting word? By the way, if you miss any messages or if you need to catch up, you can do that on the YouTubes and all of the things, all of the socials. But let's talk about temptation, shall we? Temptation is a, is a difficult thing to talk about because as soon as I say that word, there's a little image that conjures up in your mind of what a temptation looks like. I know they were a good soul band in the 70s, but it was worth a shot. Um, but here's, here's the little, the, the, the media team put a little sticker together for us and it looks like this, staring down temptation, staring down temptation. You know, when, when I thought about the kind of promises that we make, the things, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm, I'm going I'm to walk the straight and narrow, I'm never going to do that. And suddenly half of you are singing, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you, never going to. Never going to tell a lie. Here's the problem, right? Here's the problem with that. Other than it's just I rickrolled the whole service just then. For those who don't know what that means, just Google it. <laughs> but here's the problem with that. I reckon that bloke probably did let a few people down. Possibly the girl that he sung that to. Because here's the thing. When we look at the things that we don't want to do, and we say, I'm never going to do them, what do we end up doing? 
because we try and stare down these, these decisions ourselves. There was a very famous test made in 1972. It was a, a sociological test that was called the marshmallow test. You know this test? This test was, was, was they put a child in a room, put a marshmallow in front of the child and then said, if you don't eat the marshmallow, good things will come. You'll get a reward. But they left the child in the room by themselves for 15 minutes and said, don't eat the marshmallow. There's something better. And what they discovered was that delayed gratification could be kind of a thing that, that people could do. There was enough willpower, even in a child, to maybe not eat the marshmallow. Now, that was 1972. Years later, they re-ran the test with a broader group of people from different sociological backgrounds. And guess what? The people that came from poorer backgrounds, I know you're going to be shocked by this result, found it harder to not eat the marshmallow. Because where you come from and how you're wired and whether you came from wealth or poverty, wherever, whatever part of the journey you're up to right now, staring down the marshmallow is different for you. Not based on your ability to be wise and self-controlled, just based on the fundamentals of how you are wired. If you grew up in a large family and mum put the food, mum and dad put the food on the table, you know you eat quickly or you don't eat. So if the marshmallow's in front of me, I'm eating it because that might be the only bit of food. And if I eat it now, my brother won't see that there even was one in the first place. Because <laughs> it depends, right? It absolutely depends. You can't just stare things down. It doesn't work that way because there's too many other bits and pieces of your makeup that make your response very different to someone else's. And, and I, I thought of it this way. Temptation is like this thing that we stare at and you kind of end up, you know, getting your head up against it and, and we're going to push through, I'm going to push through. And we give into it more often than not because we don't have the willpower. So I put it to you, Christian, that you need to put something between you and temptation. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Here's the idea. Sin is the, is the power that comes against us and comes against what God wants in our life. And I put it to you this way. Sin is a light hog. It hogs all the light. Anybody? Anybody ever done theatre? And there's always that one kid that sees the spotlight. I think his name was Inoke. <laughs> the most beautiful pastor on team. <laughs> The spotlight's over there and they go, ah, spotlight, ah, spotlight. That's kind of what sin does. You try to keep your eyes on Jesus and it goes, ah, 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 I'm going to get in your way. So if sin is a light hog, we need a response to that. And the response is, wait for it, Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. Because Jesus is the light of the world. So what I want to put to you is that in James chapter 1, you can open it in your Bibles, you can also look in the app, all of the notes are there as well, but get your pen and paper out because what I want to put to you today are five themes, three challenges and a conversation about salvation. Five themes, three challenges and a conversation about salvation. In James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 12 through verse 18. And the first theme that I think comes up is this theme, perseverance and blessing. There is a perseverance that has to take place for a blessing to be found. It says this in James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. There's a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here's, here's the thing. Having stood the test, having stood the test, the test is what? Life. 
Life is a test, right? And at the end of that, you get the crown of life. So that's exciting. That's exciting that there's a marshmallow on the other end of this waiting. But you know when that happens? When we're done on the earth. So all you've got to last for is a lifetime. And suddenly you realize how complex and how complicated this is. This is in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and verse 11. And it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You guys encouraged so far? All right. <laughs> Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are you who stand up for my name. There's a blessing in that. But we don't actually necessarily have the conviction or we're not convinced that the reward at the other end of that waiting is good enough. And that's where temptation comes to lead us astray. That's where the second theme comes in, temptation and leadership. Temptation has a correlation with leadership. This is what James 1 verse 13 says. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God can't tempt you. He's not going to. All he wants to do is draw you into his presence and into his light. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Get that locked. Get that locked. He's not tempting you. He's got an answer for you. You can't stare down temptation by yourself. You don't have the strength. So you need to put something between you and, you and, temp, you and temptation, and that's your salvation. So when tempted, no one should say, God is doing this. Matthew 6 verse 3 says this, And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when I read this, I realized sometimes we say the Lord's Prayer and we just say deliver us from evil. But in this particular um, version, it actually personifies evil. It gives a personhood to it, the evil one. The evil one. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. In other words, between you and salvation, between you and grace, is this thing called temptation, this thing called darkness, it's a light hog, and it tries to put something between you and the presence of God. And it's called the enemy, the devil, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him. He's there seeking, like roaming the earth, like a roaring lion is the way the scripture puts it, and you've got to fight back. But again, we're not trying to do it ourselves because God didn't put the temptation. And he said, when you pray, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. You should pray, deliver us and lead us, lead us, lead us. Temptation and salvation are both leaders in your life. They're both leaders. You get to choose day in, day out. So here's the third theme. Delight, desire, life and death. Your delights and desires are kind of natural. You can't do much about it. How you, how you use your delights or how you engage your delights and desire is where you get led one way or the other. So remember, you don't want to be led into temptation. You want to be led into salvation. So you need to decide what you're going to do with your delights and desires because they can equal life or death. This is James chapter 1 and verse 14. And it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away. Wow, that's a verb, dragged away. Not just wandered, not just sort of accidentally, but dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's a fairly straightforward verse, yeah? It's a fairly fundamental verse to our understanding of what salvation is about and where temptation wants to lead us. 
But our desires and delights, when used improperly, will lead us to places that give sin a foothold and sin leads to death. That's why when we talk about coming to Christ, we talk about being born again. When we talk about baptism, we talk about being raised to life with Him. That's why life, the word life, is fundamental to the conversation about why we think Jesus is important in our lives because the other stuff leads to death. That's why you can walk around today and see people that are just not alive and you could argue are dead inside or at least have that missing freedom that Jesus promises us. This is Psalm 37 and it's a famous one and you know it. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart are a beautiful thing. God wired you to have delights and desires but you've got to direct your desires and delights. So take delight in the Lord. This is where the discipleship process comes in. My friends, here's the fourth theme. Light comes from above. No two ways about it. When light comes from in front, it casts a shadow. When it comes from beside, it casts anywhere other than above, it casts a shadow. There's this beautiful picture that we get over and over in Scripture. In fact, at Jesus' baptism, when John baptizes Jesus and it says the sky split open and a voice from heaven said, and light came down and a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And you get that very sort of movie kind of moment, you know? The way we imagine it is a beam of light coming down and sort of casting no shadow. That beauty, that purity of light is the light that we're talking about. So this is what James says in chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. Above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. You know the light source is kind of a little dodgy when it's flickering, when the shadows are shifting. You know, if, if you want to scare the kids, you know, you put the torch under your face and you kind of make the big shadows and you make the long faces and you do the crazy stuff and it's just shadow play, but it tricks us into believing that something's there that's not there. That's what the shadow play of the enemy does, that something's there that's not there. And if you don't run this way towards, towards this temptation, you won't live, you won't survive. But God says, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift, if you want good and perfect things in your life, the only place to get them is where? Above, above. This is what Matthew 5 verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can you see the correlation? Can you see the correlation? Jesus teaches it. James reminds us of it. James was kind of a, a clever chap. This is what Proverbs 4.18 says. It says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. The full light of day. I went for a bike ride with my son the other day. My son is 30 years younger than me. And we went for a 20-kilometer bike ride. And he kept looking behind me, behind him, going, Dad, are you okay? And I said, go away. But we rode beside the river and we saw the sunrise and the steam coming off the water and those beautiful smells and that sense of the day beginning. And when the full light was there, everything came into full view. That's what the full light is all about. So light comes from above. Here's the fifth theme that I get from James. Truth, the word, and answering back. 
Anyone ever tried to tell a child what to do? Sorry, not tell them what to do, instruct them, lead them in what to do. And they talk back to you. Now, there is a theory that as the generations have gone on, children today are much worse than they used to be. Rubbish. Children just have a will of their own and they express it in certain ways. But we all know how to answer back. We just know that most of our answers don't get the results that we want. So there's a correlation between truth, the word, and how to answer back. This is what James says in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, he chooses to give us birth through the word of truth. Life, birth, comes through the word of which is truth, John 1. The Word became flesh and the flesh and dwelt amongst us and the light was there and it couldn't be overcome by the darkness. Sin is a light hog. Jesus is the light that leads us in a different direction and the light comes to us through the Word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. What's the first fruits? The best, the most beautiful, the most wonderful. It's the, it's the, it's the essence of who you are, the best part of who you are. And if you're not convinced there's a good part of you today, then this message is for you because there's a beautiful part of you and Jesus wants to bring it out of you. This is what Matthew 4 says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tempted by who? The devil. Wasn't tempted by God, but he was led by the Holy Spirit into trial. Right. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. And the tempter came to him. When you read that whole passage, and it is fundamental to the ministry of Jesus, it's the starting point of where we see discipleship working and how we apply it to our own lives. His answer to the enemy every single time was not, go away, nah, get stuffed. Wasn't that? Through the word of truth. He quoted scripture back to the enemy. And here's the thing that every preacher will tell you. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Your answer to temptation is not to try and stare it down and break down the barrier yourself and say, I'm just not going to give in. I'm just not going to eat the marshmallow. Your answer to temptation is to put something between you and the thing that's tempting you. And I would say to you, put the word of truth between you and the temptation. Now, when I use the word temptation, again, I said to you at the start, something, something pops up in your mind and you start to think of a particular thing that feels like what temptation is. But I want to break it down a little and I want to make it a bit more universal because I want to talk about individual moral issues that we are facing because each of us face different temptations and each of us have the same source of life to deal with the multiplicity of temptations that we face uniquely and individually. So here's what I think we get tempted by. I think we get tempted by three things. I think we get tempted to pretend. I think we get tempted to run, and I think we get tempted to hate. We get tempted to pretend, we get tempted to run, and we get tempted to hate. So when you're trying to stare things down, you've got to be careful to put the right thing between you and what you're trying to stare down. So if you're staring down fear, if you're staring down fear, stop pretending that you're not. Because a lot of us get, get into this thing, whatever the thing is that's tempting you, whatever the thing is that's drawing you into sin and drawing you away from the leading of light, whatever it is that's drawing you away from that, the reason we get wound up in it and it gets worse and worse and worse is because we think the whole community is judging us for the little thing that they can't see. Because we're pretty sure everybody can see it. 
Everyone knows I'm a failure. Everyone knows I'm sinful. Everyone knows I'm full of whatever it is, whatever it is that your issue is. And the enemy would have you believe that everyone can see it and everyone's judging you for it. And so you pretend that it's not happening. But if you're staring down fear, whatever the fear is, because wherever there's sin, there's fear. That's what sin is. It's, it's a fearful thing. I don't, know how, I don't know how we haven't reminded ourselves over and over that fear comes to, to kill it. It's this thing. It's this destructive force. So stop pretending it's not there and start sharing with others. Start leaning into the Word of God. Start asking the fellowship of believers to help you walk this path. Every great journey movie, every one of them has one protagonist the hero, but the hero never gets to Mordor without the rest of the crew. There you go, just a Lord of the Rings reference for all the nerds. Stare down fear, stop pretending. If you want to stare down the dark, stop running. Stand. And when all else is done, stand. Joshua, stand still. For the Lord has got the victory. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. I'm not doing this myself. I'm just firmly planting my feet and believing that God's got this. And I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop spiraling. And I'm going to stare down the dark by looking to the light. Now again, apply that to whatever it is that's tempting you in your life. Whatever destructive force, whatever temptation that is coming your way right now, just apply that thought to it. Stop running. Because in the dark, you just get more and more dark. But John 1 says that the light has come and the darkness cannot, will not, cannot ever overcome it. Light disperses dark. There is no dark that can defeat the light of Jesus. So stop running. If you want to stare down hate, don't stop loving. Welcome to the most complicated thing you can do. It's as simple and as easy as this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as yourself. What's the opposite of love? Hate. I don't hate people, Pastor. I don't hate people. No, I know. But you don't. But you want to stop loving them. You want to stop loving them because it hurts to love. It hurts to give of ourselves. It hurts to sacrifice ourselves. It hurts to not have love reciprocated. And so the other side of love is hate. And if you want to stare down hate, don't stop loving. Here's what you need to know. Faith is greater than fear. Faith is greater than fear. Light is greater than dark. Love is greater than hate. And salvation is greater than any temptation. If we learn as Jesus followers to value and adore our Lord and value and, and appreciate our salvation, then all of these things start to come into focus and we stop trying to stare down the temptation ourselves, the light hog ourselves, and we put the light in front of us and we ask Jesus to what? Lead us, to lead us to love, to lead us to light, to lead us to faith because that's what he promises that he will do because salvation is greater than temptation. 1 Corinthians, puts it this way, that no test, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. This is one of the great lies that somewhere along the line, you've believed that nobody's ever experienced what you're going through. 
Now, as I stand in this fellowship of believers in person and online, there are some complex stories from complex places that I can't necessarily relate to. But I guarantee you, you are not as unique as you think you are when it comes to pain. You're not. It's a little disappointing, isn't it? Because sometimes we like to waddle, waddle, just, just dwell in that pain a little and nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms. But, 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 beyond the course of what others have had to face, yours is not any greater. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never, he'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Because he's never going to let you down. Never going to. Never going to give you up. It's in scripture. But when it comes from the God of eternity, the light of life, it carries weight. Because this light does not quit. And it will continue to expel the darkness. If sin is a light, hog. And Jesus is the answer. Because Jesus is the light of the world. Here's, here's how I wrote it down. Jesus' hands are safer than yours. Jesus' hands are safer than yours. When I, when I started to, to sort of understand that in high school playing sport was important, it kind of it determined which group you were in. I just hedged all my bets. I got into the, music, I got into the band and the basketball team and, and tried to be good at English. Anybody else try to do all the things just in case you, didn't, you weren't cool at one or the other? But when it comes to sport, especially cricket, I was scared of that cricket ball. I'm sorry to all my Sri Lankan and Indian friends that are disappointed in me right now. But I was scared of that cricket ball. That's a really hard rock that's flying at you. And the kid would hit it out of the middle. And because I was very average to slash poor at cricket, I was in the outfield, which meant go away. But every now and again, the ball would come flying at you. And you would have that moment, that high school musical moment of either the children are going to burst into song and sing my praises or I'm going to embarrass myself once again. And as the ball came in slow motion and that whizzing sound through the air happened, fear, because there was no light in my life, fear struck my mind and my hands forgot how to catch a ball and the ball touched my hands and beat me in the chest. And fell to the ground. And that's when the children use that very encouraging phrase, butterfingers. <laughs> which was not about a sweet chocolate treat. That was just you can't catch. And I felt shame. And when I think about this, this thing that Jesus does for us, it's like he stands in front of us and catches the ball. He takes the hit. He stands between us and the thing coming against us. His hands are safer than your hands. I don't care how safe you think your hands are. His hands are safer than your hands. Anyone that's raised a little person knows that at some point you have to let them go and trust them to the hands of Jesus. We have to trust one another's lives to the hands of Jesus. Sin is a light hog. Jesus is the light of the world. Let him hold your life together because that's the only truth that matters. It's the only truth that matters. If you want to stare down fear, don't be tempted to pretend. If you want to stare down the dark, don't be tempted to run. If you want to stare down hate, don't be tempted to stop loving. Remember that your salvation is greater than any 
temptation. My friends, don't do it yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You with me? Let's pray. Yeah, come on. Lord, help. Help us care, help us love, help us give, help us trust, help us know, help us lead, help us love you in such a way that when the world looks at us, they see you. That when they wonder why it's so dark, they look to the light and they see the compassion and the mercy and the grace of Jesus reflected in his people, in his church. We pray courage into our hearts today. We pray trust into our souls today. And we pray again that you would help us let go and trust our soul's journey to you, knowing that when we value and adore our salvation, we can face down any temptation because it's not us doing it. It's you standing between us and the darkness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, with conviction, let's worship.